Topic of our Adama Talk now this evening is the Ten Imperfections of Insight, Part Two. Now, during the first uh, uh, discourse on uh, this uh, topic, the general introduction was certainly given, and certainly then you know, the first certainly few uh, imperfections were uh, explained. Now. To briefly review what Satna was explained Satna so far, so the ten imperfections of insight are a phase, a very distinct Satna phase that occurs in a retreatant's practice. And this Satna particular phase is characterized by the occurrence of at least some of those imperfections of insight. Some retreatants experience all of them, others um, maybe three-quarters of them, and yet others just a few of them. Now, one observes carefully, however, no one is likely you know, to experience uh, almost all of them. The ten imperfections of insight start with experiences that fall under the term illumination. The Pali term for this is obasa, and that's a retreat and is likely to experience various light phenomena, seeing lights in the mind, or perceiving as if some external light is there. It could be a flickering light, it could be a light shining at the face, coming from different directions. Now, the second imperfection of insight comes in the form of knowledge, and certainly here, by knowledge, jnana and the Pani scriptural language, is certainly meant a knowledge that is unerring, keen, incisive, and very sharp, like a lightning flash. The third imperfection of insight is that of joy or rapture, piti in the Pali scriptural language, and that joy yet may be of five kinds, as explained in the Visuddhimagga, namely as momentary, or sorry, minor joy, kudaka piti in Pali, then the momentary joy, kanika, Piti, then the showering joy, Okantika Piti, uplifting joy, Ubeka Piti, and then finally the pervading Piti, namely Farana Piti, which then pervades a rapturous joy that pervades the entire body. Now, that certain experience of uh, and joy, strong, milder as well as stronger you know, degrees of uh, joy, you know, then you know, paves the way for you know, the arising of uh, you know, the next imperfection of insight, and that is tranquility. So, Pasadi and the Pandi, you know, scriptural language. And 
you might suddenly remember that Satna with the Trinkutna, the imperfection of Satna inside of tranquility arises, it Satna is likely to be accompanied by other states, wholesome, unwholesome states. Wholesome, a number of wholesome states. And Satna, then would you know which ones? Lightness, there you go. Lightness of uh, you know, the mind and uh, lightness of the mental body and consciousness. And, uh, and then you know, we have you know, things like uh, malleability, mudutta again, of you know, the mental you know, body and consciousness. And you know, then you know, we have wieldiness, kamanyata in Pali, as well as. Uh, Bakunya Satna, the mind Satna, that is Satna sharp, and Satna then sharp or proficient, and Satna then Ujukata, namely the straightforwardness of Satna, the mind, is yet another quality. And those Satna, at least some of Satna, those qualities, in particular the lightness, can be uh, directly experienced. So when tranquility comes up, then it's worth you know, checking whether uh, one or some of these other you know, mental factors are present in the mind or not. Now, this is more or less certain as far as we got, and you know, there is much then certainly can be learned from these imperfections of insight. Now the next one is certainly that of happiness in the Pali scriptural language referred to as sukha. And the a definition for you know, this certainly then uh, would certainly be as well, a state of well-being. The venerable Mahasi Saida of Fatna Burma says, or describes Satna this Sukha Upakilesa as mind and body being or feeling extremely peaceful, being extremely peaceful. And then uh, one could experience this as waves of satisfaction as a pleasant, soothing thrill, feeling very happy. Uh, a retreat in my sadness, say, he or she felt never that happy before. One person had once described this as feeding on top of the world. And so, and then a sense of ease would be another way of describing it. The venerable Sadhupanita, Bhivamsa, explains 
And that Satya, this happiness, does differ significantly from the earlier joy. So the joy has a tendency to be somewhat bubbly, consisting of a bubbly energy, whereas in the case of the happiness, it is more on the calm side, and it's clearly more refined than the joy. And that's calm happiness when it arises then leads on to the body being at ease comfortable relaxed free of pains and aches and certain physical diseases might even get suddenly cured so this kind of a happiness then arises out of the mindfulness meditation practice. And suddenly this kind of a happiness, would you say, is equal to, is the same as the happiness that we might derive from going to a restaurant and suddenly then relishing some exotic menu. Is the same or not? Not. So, this kind of a happiness here that arises out of the practice is a happiness that arises out of a relative purity of the mind, and that is, and it is a happiness that is not based on the indulgence in sense pleasures. So it's not based on going out for dinner. It's not based on going and seeing a movie or maybe enjoying a summer vacation somewhere at the beach or climbing some mountain or whatever it might be. So it is a type of Fatna happiness that Satna is free from mental defilements. Although, as we've seen, one has to be careful not to get attached to it, not to develop a craving for it, nor to get conceited or start holding a wrong view. Now, some retreatants have described it as a sense of both bodily as well as mental well-being. And um, then uh, one yogi, uh, one certainly said, it's like uh, having received uh, a full massage or uh, some... (laughs) Uh, have or many you know, refer to it as a state of contentment. So they're satisfied, contented with the situation, with the practice as it is uh, at that point, not wishing others to be different, wishing you know, things to be you know, different. Now, this happiness, and that's just for general knowledge, may play an important role when it comes to being sick. 
let's say if one is suffering from some uh, minor or uh, more uh, serious illness, then to keep the mind in a happy place will actually contribute to a speedy recovery. So, it, from one's own experience, from one's own meditation, one can see how you know, when happiness, the f- imperfection of happiness, is certainly predominant in the mind, or just happiness in general, is predominant in the mind, the body tends to be relaxed, and suddenly then you know, there are no pain snakes, or if so, only very few. Now, the Visuddhi Magga defines this happiness, Sukra, in the following words. It says, there arises in a retreated, exceedingly refined happiness, flooding a retreatant's entire body. Now, based on this experience of first joy, then tranquility, followed by the arising of that certain sense of happiness, ease, well-being, based on these, or these are three together, have been referred referred to by the Buddha as Dhamma Delight. And as a form of Fatna Delight that by far transcends the happiness or the delight of ordinary beings. So in this regard, frequently mentioned, we have the Dhammapada verse 373 that says, The person who goes into seclusion, namely to meditate, whose mind is tranquil, who clearly perceives Satna, the Dhamma, experiences a delight which transcends that of ordinary men and women. Now, when one has experienced these Satna three mental states, Usually, as a retreat, one feels very inspired. And certainly, quite naturally, then, Adimokha, namely determination or determined, certainly faith arises based on these uh, uh, rather ordin- extraordinary experiences. Now, at times, a retreatant might not be all that clear about the difference between joy, beauty, 
and happiness sukha. So we will briefly explore these two mental factors. Now, as mentioned in in the earlier Dhamma talk, a PT is defined as having the characteristic of being endearing, and its function is to refresh the mind, the mind and body, or its second function is to pervade to pervade namely to thrill with rapture and that joy then typically manifests as elation and mind and body are given as the proximate cause for the arising of joy now in the case of Sukha, as Satna defined by the Visuddhimagga, we have this uh, definition as an exceedingly refined happiness, which then floods Satna the entire body. Now, when it comes to joy, it possesses this bubbly energy, as the Venerable Sadhu Pandita Bhiva himself, uh, Burma has pointed out on many occasions, and that tends to do what to the mind? By me? No, no, it tends to excite the mind, yes, that's correct. It tends to agitate the mind. And with an agitated or excited mind, it will be somewhat difficult to observe whatever predominant object comes along. Now, different from this is happiness that clearly is certainly more of a calmer nature. Of a calmer nature, and also more refined than the joy. Now, in your own practice, when these two mental factors of joy and happiness, sukha, arise, let's say, within one and the same sitting on occasion, then you might want to pay close attention. How do I experience joy? Or how does the joy manifest in the mind? How does it manifest in the body? And then when the practice deepens and happiness comes up, what is Satna the experience in this case? How does it manifest? And 
in this way, you can then, by contrasting the two, you'll gradually get a better sense what is meant by joy and what is meant by happiness. Now, both of these factors, mental factors, are also factors that occur in a different form of meditation, namely Samatha. Samatha, mental development through calm and some mental development that is geared towards the development of absorptions. And as a part of some of the absorptions, joy arises as one jhanic factor and happiness also arises as another jhanic factor. And when one develops, let's say, the first jhana, they usually tend to occur in that sequence. And with this, uh, then uh, there's yet another opportunity to see, to um, actually experience the difference between the two. Now, the next among the imperfections of insight is adimokha, and that certainly translates as determination or in a determined faith. And the Visuddhi Magga defines it as resolution, or it says the following, namely, resolution is faith, adimokha is faith, for strong faith arises in a retreat and in association with insight in the form of extreme confidence of consciousness and its concomitants. And that is indeed what sudden retreatants then experience. Um, based on the earlier imperfections of Fatna insight, then um, this determined Satna faith arises, and um, if earlier on there was more of a lack of faith, namely skeptical note, now you know, the faith is there and certain one knows that this is the right practice. Now, the Venerable Mahasi side of Fatna Burma in his Vipassana Shunijan, namely the manual on Vipassana meditation, which originally was written in Burmese and is now being translated and hopefully soon published in the English language. So in that Vipassana Shunijan, the Venerasi Sada gives the following explanation for Adimokha. He says, it is a very clear faith and confidence that arises to together with the noting and observing mind. So it's that clarity of footnote mind that can be taken as an uh, indicator for uh, this sudden uh, 
Adimokka. At least one indicator. It is because of strong faith and confidence that the mind is free from impurities at every moment of labeling, and it is, and at that point, the mind is very clear. And as explained in an earlier Dhamma talk, that faith arises on earlier, based on earlier imperfections of insight, such as experiencing illumination phenomena, and then knowledge, joy, and calmness, happiness, uh, and happiness. Now, a meditator may then out of this determined uh, faith decide or come to a resolution yes, suddenly this is the correct path of practice and yes, I want to continue with this this determined faith might suddenly further manifest as having much faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Now, at times, retreatants who experience this determined faith might be so overwhelmed by the faith that they can't help but wanting to share it with other retreatants. And Satna then might Satna go around during, as the retreat is going on, and Satna then, um, well, encouraging others to practice harder. Why don't you practice a little bit harder? And you will have similar experiences. Or you'll have experiences similar to my experiences. Or some retreatants might decide that it's time to write a letter to friends and family and encourage them to come on a retreat. Or some retreatants who get who experience even more. A determined Satna faith that might uh, already uh, well plan their life as a Dhamma, their career as a Dhamma teacher, and already devising the first couple of Dhamma talks <laughs> while sitting in the meditation. Now, at the time, it seems like the right thing to do, or something that one might know what to do. But actually, if one looks at it from the outside, you know, then you know, it's uh, a little bit over the top. <laughs> now, mm, this is just experiencing you know, some of the imperfections of insight. And obviously, our you know, retreat and still has what? Far to go? Not much to go? <laughs> Far to go.
Now, just like with all you know, the other you know, mental factors you know, mentioned earlier on, we have to be very careful that we do not get attached to any single one of them. Since suddenly this might lead to stagnation in our practice, we also have to be very careful not to crave for any of these experiences. And just around suddenly this point, allow me to add or to add one point a retreatant who's never experienced the imperfections of insight before and has just recently overcome the hindrances and all those pains and aches will be so pleased to finally experience some joy, some calmness. Oh, finally the practice is becoming somewhat or is being somewhat pleasant. And then the teacher might say, be careful, <laughs> don't, you know, don't crave for these experiences, don't forget to, you know, label the, or label, label these certain experiences and observe them in a non-attached manner. And the retreatant says, yes, yes, and then walks out of the interview room and goes back to the meditation halls and hits, hits the cushion and happily craves for those states to re-arise. And it might certainly take several days for retreatant to realize you know, that Satna, well, even that calmness, if one has experienced it for five days in a row, sooner or later gets quite boring. And Satna, then one might get Satna the point what one needs to do, namely to be mindful. So simply to be mindful of fatna, that calmness or happiness or joy or whatever else it might be, and so, uh, then you know, to you know, observe it in a non-attached manner, not to get conceited you know, because of fatna, uh, this experience, and also not to mistake it you know, to, you know, for Ibana. Now, Based on the determined faith, retreatants are likely to then experience a natural flow of energy. And so energy is kind of gushing forth, and a retreatant might find himself or herself having or, or sitting for longer periods of time and then having no trouble to sit until later at night, finding that suddenly they wake up earlier in the morning and not feeling very tired or exhausted. So this is all because of this bugger 
namely energy. The Visuddhimagga defines it as follows, namely it says, For well-extended energy, neither too lax nor too strength, arises in a retreat and in association with insight. Now, when that satna energy becomes available, it naturally tends to be balanced satna energy. And so even though one is sitting for longer periods of time or practicing altogether more hours, yet the mind satna remains free from restlessness and satna agitation. When this energy is flowing naturally, then the thing to do is to simply make good use of it, to put it to use and then extend sessions and practice more. However, that energy will not be available to that extent at all times and suddenly then one that might at other times when the momentum is not there, one might suddenly not want to force it and not push it too hard. Now, the next of imperfections of insight that suddenly arises as part of the imperfections, the ten imperfections, is that of upatana, namely mindfulness. And here too, just like with Satna, the energy and Satna earlier imperfections, one that has to be careful not to get attached to it, not Satna to crave Satna for it, nor, nor to become conceited or hold a wrong view. So when upatana becomes predominant as an imperfection of fatna insight, then this actually shows in the quality of our mindfulness. The mindfulness comes effortlessly. The mindfulness tends to be dynamic and easy, continuous, and without missing, one can observe and at the respective object, and without delay, the mindfulness goes right towards Satna, the object of observation, and Satna observes it. The mind at that point tends to be swift and Satna sharp as well as light. So the mindfulness at that point in the practice it takes on some quite outstanding qualities. And this satna then can be observed in one's own meditation practice. Now, the way 
the Visuddhi Magga, in its 20th chapter, section 120, explains this Upatana is as follows. It says, it translates the Pani term Upatana as assurance, in brackets or in parentheses as literally as establishment. So, this assurance is mindfulness for well-established, well-founded mindfulness, which is dug in and as immovable as the king of mountains arises in a retreat and in association with insight. Whatever object one adverts to, consciously reacts to, gives attention to, reviews, appears to the retreatant um, owing to mindfulness, which Shatna then descends into it, enters into it, just as the other world does Sapna to one who has the divine eye. Now, during earlier phases of Fatnawan's meditation practice, one had to make a sustained, concerted effort for mindfulness to be continuous, for one to clearly observe what is really happening. And back then, objects certainly would take quite a while to arise, to occur, and certainly then eventually pass away. But now, during this phase of the practice, mindfulness tends to be much sharper. The flow of events, of objects also, tends to be much faster. And certainly with this, certainly then, uh, and the mindfulness can keep up with this new development. So even though an object will be available for observation, at least on occasion, only for a very short period of Fatna time, maybe sometimes just a few seconds or even less Fatna than this, yet the mind is so sharp and Fatna swift that it can still pick up the main quality or the nature of the respective object. Now, the ninth imperfection of insight is certainly that of equanimity, and certainly not without a reason does equanimity uh, get certain or, or get mentioned um, towards the end of those imperfections of insight. Because the, the equanimity doesn't arise right away. It takes a certain maturing of the mind that suddenly then prepares the ground for the mind to become equanimous about formations. So in other words, 
Now, the equanimity arises as an imperfection of insight after retreating has experienced at least some of the earlier imperfections, such as possibly illumination, possibly keen and unerring knowledge, and some joy, calmness, happiness, and sadness, so on. Now, The Visuddhi Magga uses a very specific term here for equanimity, namely Awajan Upeka. Upeka meaning equanimity, and Awajan is advertence. So equanimity in adverting. So the Visuddhi Magga explains that there are two types of equanimity that show that work or function during this phase of the practice. So for one thing, we have equanimity about insight, and the other one is equanimity in adverting. Equanimity about insight, so the first one, is neutrality about formations. And this kind of an equanimity, then the Visuddhimagga says, arises strongly in a retreated. Now, the explanation here is as follows. A retreatant or by the time a retreating gets to this point in the practice, namely when equanimity arises, he or she will have observed hundreds, if not thousands or ten thousands, of fatna different bodily or mental formations. Now, at the very outset of a retreat, a retreatant is likely to get quite excited about some you know, desirable, pleasant you know, experiences, and some might certainly get equally mm, uh, aversive, let's say, you know, towards certain some undesirable objects. So at that point, mm, the mind is still pretty reactive. Now, as a retreating keeps observing this certain great certain range of physical and mental formations, he or she will get to know them much better and eventually realizes that these are just all formations. So if earlier on there was much getting involved with thinking, different kinds of thinking, planning, and uh, analyzing, and speculating, and fantasizing, and whatnot, later on it all boils down to just thinking, or just wondering, that's it. And so having observed and known the nature of a great number of physical and of conditioned physical and mental formations, the mind becomes neutral about them and is neither you know, too ex- or neither gets too excited nor you know, too um, 
saddened uh, about certain of those different objects. So that's your first type of equanimity. Now, the second type, namely equanimity in adverting, has something to do with adverting in the mind door. Now, advertance is a particular activity or a particular function of the mind. So let's say you, well, we all have eyes to see with, a nose to smell with, ears to hear with, and then a tongue to taste different flavors, a body to experience tactile, uh, sensations or formations and a mind subject to uh, be uh, conscious of various phenomena. Conscious or cognize certain various uh, phenomena, mental phenomena. So there are objects certain that occur at the different sense stores and the Abhidhamma uh, clearly states that one moment of consciousness takes in or takes as an object only one object at a time. So it cannot be that one is that that, you know, that consciousness you know, then you know, takes in or takes as an object all six objects that occur at certain you know, the different you know, sense certain doors. So it must it must be one at a time, and it is. This mental you know, factor, mental function, more function, of uh, adverting to one or you know, the other uh, sense store. And so the Visuddhimagga says that in the mindfulness practice, when experiencing these imperfections of insight, there uh, is this equanimity when the mind adverts, uh, in particular, in the mind door. So there's no more liking, disliking, feeling attracted to one type of object and uh, rejecting some other object. Whatever predominant object comes up at any of the sense doors, it's fine. If it's predominant, the mind will then advert to it. So the explanation given by the Visuddhimagga is as follows. For whatever the object one adverts to, one's adverting works as incisively and sharply as a lightning flash, like a red-hot spear plunged into a basket of leaves. And the commentary to the Visuddhimagga gives a bit more explanation. It says, the volition associated with mind or adverting is called equanimity in adverting because it occurs in adverting as onlooking. And onlooking is in the sense 
in the sense of just being an objective observer without having any preferences or biases towards objects. Now, that is an important quality to possess. Now, here too, with this equanimity that then consists of equanimity in insight as well as equanimity in adverting, we do not want to get attached to it, we don't want to crave for it, nor do we want to get conceited because of it or hold some wrongful you mistake it to be an experience of Nibbana. Now, during the earlier phases of the practice, even during the when the first couple of imperfections of insight show or show up in one sudden meditation, the mind or a retreat and will not yet have a clear understanding of what equanimity is all about. And a retreat will typically display this reactivity of the mind towards desirable uh, or undesirable objects, liking the desirable ones and disliking the other ones, the undesirable ones. And, and then when these imperfections gradually unfold one by one, then comes a point when retreatants clearly notice that towards this or that object they no longer um, experience that earlier reactivity. So, could be uh, earlier on a reactivity towards noises in the meditation hall or reactivity towards, let's say, the food or maybe the flies, the gadflies, and so on. But then, when this awaj nupekha and insight about, or equanimity and insight, when those come up, then... Um, a retreat and finds that the mind is no longer reacting. Now, this is a really important experience so that retreatants have a reference point to then take along with them after retreat and when on occasion outside of intensive retreat they come across some difficult situation and the mind is reactive to recognize that reactivity and to know that there is an antithesis to this or an antidote to this namely in the form of non-reactivity and then one can train or incline the mind in that direction. Now, that 
equanimity in insight and equanimity in adverting, however, will not last forever. And that suddenly, sooner or later, also it will go under changes or undergo changes. Now, the last among those ten imperfections is attachment, nikanti. And because of the rather delightful mental factors that come up, the untrained, the unskilled retreatant will want to get attached to those experiences. And so this attachment or nikanti is a factor that potentially underlies all of the remaining imperfections of insight. So when it suddenly occurs, it's important that we recognize our attachment to this or that state and suddenly then label it accordingly, observe it in an objective, non-reactive manner and to know its nature. And sooner or later, it will subside. Now, The phase during which the ten imperfections of insight occur in the Visuddhi Magga is referred to as Magga Magga Jnana Dasana Visuddhi, namely the uh, purification of knowledge and vision of what is the correct path, what is the correct path, and you know, the uh, incorrect path. And an unskilled retreatant who for the first time experiences some or maybe even all of the imperfections of insight, he or she is likely to get attached to this or that imperfection, is likely to develop a craving for some of the imperfections, might on occasion even get conceited, and might even mistake these various states to be an experience of Nibbana. And such a retreatant will typically forget to uh, label will forget certain to carefully observe in an objective manner and that might also forget to really know the nature of those formations. Now, being stuck in the state of calmness for five days or in the state of joy for five days, sooner or later, a retreater will get the point that this is not leading anywhere and that it might be time to be mindful again. And and then eventually a retreater lets 
go of Satna, the attachment to these various imperfections, and Satna then uh, will uh, uh, label and carefully observe whatever comes up and uh, then know the nature of what's going on. So time and again, it happens during the interviews, you know, the advice is given, please don't get attached. And the next interview, oh, there was this wonderful peacefulness. And, and it lasted you know, for one sitting, another sitting, maybe a day or even two. So strong is certainly this um, the power of you know, those imperfections of insight. Now, a retreat in who has gone through you know, the imperfections already you know, several times will very well know that Satna, there are some hidden dangers here, and Satna will not get carried away by those illumination phenomena, will not get carried away by joy, tranquility, happiness, and so on and so forth. And simply remember to be mindful of whatever comes along, and Satna to know what's going on. And that then is considered to be the path forward, namely the correct path. And so, therefore, this particular phase in the, in, in the practice you know, represents a major junction. Either you know, we walk down the non-path, and it's going to be a dead end, or you know, we uh, stick to the, our usual task of labeling, observing, and uh, uh, knowing the nature of whatever the predominant object comes up, in particular those imperfections. Now, the very experience of Fatna, the imperfections, is important. Important for what? Future practice. So once one has experienced them, one will want to stop practice or go on. One will want to go on with it. One feels encouraged. One sees that this is really working. One sees that, that this seems like good practice, like good meditation. So if a retreat and in a retreat can move, or if his or her practice unfolds, up to and including those imperfections of insight, then already much has been achieved because you know, there will be a strong motivation for this subnet retreatant to pursue practice. Such a retreatant will be highly likely to sign up for another retreat and then to deepen the practice and go much further. Now, on the other hand, if a retreatant ends his or her retreat in the midst of the knowledge of well, the contemplation by or the insight knowledge by comprehension, and in particular the dukkha part, <laughs> there's less motivation to want to go on. Now, the experience of Futna, these imperfections of insight is also valuable in the sense that 
they show a retreatant the potential of the mind. If one remembers, if one recalls what the state of mind was like prior to retreat or during the first few days of the retreat, with all the sleepiness, the dullness of the mind, and you know, that tremendous amount of you know, wandering mind, and now you know, the mind is sudden, you know, the calmness, joy, and sudden, you know, then happiness, determined faith, and you know, strong you know, energy. You know, strong mindfulness are there, you know, then you know, one realizes, wow, you know, the mind can be truly developed. So the Buddha's you know, exhortations, encouragement to undergo this training in sila, in samadhi, in you know, wisdom you know, practice, this certain encouragement is indeed yielding uh, good results. But it's really important that having had mm, a clear-cut experience of the imperfections of insight, that one does not you know, see this as the ultimate and certainly then decide, you know, okay, uh, that's it. The Dhamma has been realized, which would be coming to a very flawed conclusion. So, allow me to conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk by wishing made note of this Satna, this as well as the earlier talk on the imperfections of insight, help you, you know, to better understand this particular phase of the meditation practice and then in the future especially during future retreats should you go through those imperfections again then it will surely be helpful to recognize them and also how to deal with them properly and may the ten imperfections of insight or let's say the nine out of ten inspire you, you know, to go on you know, with your practice and ultimately may it result in your realization of the true peace of Nibbana and hopefully during this very retreat here. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.